everyone. My name is Yin Tang, and here I have Sharon Wong. She is the National OCA President, and you are here watching OCA Cleveland's Image TV and Asia Town Voice. Now, Asia Town Voice is a volunteer-based nonprofit organization, and we air on WJCU's 88.7 FM every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. So please tune in and give us your support. Now, Sharon, is this your first time in Cleveland? No, actually, I think it's about my third time. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I have been here before because I used to work for NASA. Oh, that's and at the right. Glenn Research Center here, you know, while I was at NASA, we did make a couple of trips out here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so how was your drive this morning with the snow and everything? Well, since I wasn't driving, <laughs> it was fine. I was the passenger, and uh, it, it, I actually didn't think it was bad at all. I, I didn't oh, really? even feel, feel it at not in the least. Was this was this the Cleveland that you remember weather-wise? No, no, not at no, all. No, not at <laughs> all. I've never come and seen it like like this. But it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, the snow—it's—it's it's absolutely beautiful. I love, how, you know, how the backdrop against mm -hmm. um, the the trees. And it, it's just really pretty. Absolutely, it's almost like a painting, right? Yes. And uh, speaking of paintings, uh, we were talking briefly about a performance you watched last night with the Cleveland State Confucius Institute. Um, can you tell me again your favorite uh, performance of the night with a painting? Yeah, well, they had an artist, and he was doing a um, calligraphy. And uh, a blank sheet of paper was put up, and at first I thought he was just going to be doing some calligraphy, but he actually did a painting mm -hmm. from scratch, 10 minutes. It was beautiful. You know, he started on the right, of course, and he moved towards the left, and um, started with a bird on a tree <laughs> limb. A beautiful. That, I would say, was my favorite. I wish I could do that. Now, is it as pretty as Cleveland's landscape? <laughs> Yes, I would say somewhat, but yes, because the white, it was against a white backdrop. Very, very pretty, yes. Okay, well, um, going back to your previous comment about NASA, how long were you there for? I was there for uh, 26 years. Wow. I, I, I started my career at uh, the Kennedy Space Center, mm -hmm. um, and I was there for about 10, 11 years. I spent a couple years at our headquarters. And then um, another 12, 13 at another facility in Greenbelt, Greenbelt Maryland. So wow. I, I, I've been a federal employee my whole life. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> so a little bit about yourself. Uh, where were you born? Where are you from? I know this will surprise people. A lot of times people tell me I'm Filipino. And when I say no, then they'll start thinking island. And sometimes they'll say Hawaii. Mm -hmm. But I was actually born and raised in Jamaica. Oh, really? Yes, in the Caribbean. Wow. And so my parents were born there, too, but my grandparents came from China, southern mm -hmm. China, Guang, Guangzhou. Okay. And then they moved to Jamaica. My parents were born, and I was born there. So I lived the first uh, 17 years of my life um, in Jamaica before we moved to the U.S. Oh, man, that would have been Beautiful, warm weather, especially at a time like this in Cleveland with all the snow. <laughs> yes, it you ever, never snowed. Do you ever miss Jamaica? Do you visit often? Uh, it's been a while. The last time I was there was uh, 1998. Okay. Uh, we still have some family there, and uh, but I travel a lot in you know with my work and with OCA, so I don't get to that's because I, I was born and raised there. I have been back you know, a few times more around the tourist areas. Because mm -hmm. when you live anywhere, mm -hmm. if you think you never take advantage of the, the things that are in the community you live in. And when the first time I went back after living here, I realized the places are the tourists go, you know, Ocho Rios, Montego Bay, Negril, 
I had never been to those places. Yeah. So when I go, when I went back, that's where I end up going. That's that's a really good point. You know, a lot of people who live in Cleveland, they don't usually visit the Rock Hall, or they've never been to the Science Museum, unless it's a school field trip, which I think the schools are wonderful to do that. But it's true. It's like nobody really explores their backyard. Now, a little bit about Jamaica. Is there a large Asian community there? Yes, and particularly it's Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think of the Caribbean, many of the countries, you think of black um, people. Mm-hmm. But you have a very small but very robust Chinese community, and even uh, Indian co- community mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I have one of the, my closest friends is Trinidadian Chinese. Oh, wow. uh, one of the fifth like consular, like uh, my aunt, she is Cuban Chinese, so there are there's a lot of Chinese in the Caribbean, and particularly in Jamaica, where I went to high school, a third of my class were Chinese. Oh, good. Yes. So I am assuming that you grew up in a primarily Chinese community when you were in Jamaica. Yeah, but we were very integrated into mm-hmm. the Jamaican community. Uh, we had uh, the equivalent of a Chinatown. We had a Chinese community center, which we went to after school. My parents raised us very much in the Chinese community. Mm-hmm. On Sundays, we had Chinese school. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't really learn Chinese. <laughs> um, just the accent thing doesn't work. You know. yeah. And I'm a little tone deaf, so it's a little hard for me with the tones as well really? in terms of learning Chinese. I've tried. I guess I must be tone deaf, too, because when I was listening to your speech yesterday, I didn't think you had an accent. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think your English is perfectly fine. Thank you. Some people can pick it up, though. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, especially if, and I notice people who are from um, the West Indies mm-hmm. or they're non-U.S. and they've been raised in a culture where there's different accents, they are better able to pick up accents. Okay. And, and particularly West Indians um, are able to, they'll come up and they'll say, which country mm-hmm. in the Caribbean are you? Because I hear it. Aww. Yes, <laughs> I, I've had that many times when, I, when I'm speaking. Well, it sounds like you're very open-minded to answering people's questions about, you know, your accent, your ethnicity. So that's awesome. Right? Yes, uh, absolutely. There's nothing to hide. <laughs> now, when you moved to the United States, where did you move to? Of all places, West Virginia. Oh, yeah? So you can imagine going from Jamaica to West Virginia, what that was like. Yeah. I don't, is there a big Asian population in West Virginia? Not at no. all. <laughs> uh, not at all. And I went to um, what I would consider... It was a very small liberal arts mm-hmm. uh, Jesuit university uh, in Wheeling, West Virginia, maybe about 45 minutes away from Pittsburgh. So it wasn't really in the middle or the center of West Virginia as such. And I, majority white, um, I would say that the non-minority students mm-hmm. were either a basketball team mm-hmm. or the Asian students were those that were on what we considered a the International Hall. That's what we call oh. it. It wasn't named as such, but we had a, a transfer student from Japan mm-hmm. and a couple of Filipinos, mm-hmm. and uh, it, they just put us all on the same hall. I would really? say we could, I could probably count on one hand the eight students that were Asian. Really? Out eight? of a class of about 800, um, a, a total population of about 800. I think my class itself might have been about 120. Okay. 150, yes. Okay, so, so it's a smaller university, so eight doesn't seem that <laughs> extreme. <laughs> now, if it was only eight Asian students out of a couple thousand. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> but what was it like going to uh, a university there? Was it, did you have to deal with any discrimination issues? Was it difficult coming from, you know, Jamaica where there was an Asian community into, uh, you know, West Virginia where there pretty much wasn't one? I would say I was seen more as 
and this, this may sound harsh, but it, I don't mean it in that context, like an oddity, because I was different. Mm -hmm. And I think what it is is they didn't quite know what to do. And mm -hmm. at the time when I moved to the U.S., I had a very strong Jamaican accent. Oh. I had kind of worked on my American accent as such. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I still very much had that Jamaican accent. And uh, they tended to laugh a lot at the things I would say in terms of how I would pronounce words. I never got the sense, though, that it was from a mean way. Okay. It was more, they found it funny because take, for example, a word like, aluminum. Mm -hmm. Back home it was actually, we said aluminum. Mm -hmm. And my saying like aluminum foil, I would say aluminum foil. And they thought that was a riot. They would laugh. But I never sensed it was from a mean perspective. Mm -hmm. um, there was even a, a, an international incident, and I can't quite remember what it was at the time, um, that happened against uh, the U.S. in one of the other countries. And we were going to an event that night, and I'll tell you that the kids said, Sharon, when it was in town, they said, if we go into town, we're with you, we'll protect you. You know, it was one of those anti-American incidents in one of these foreign countries. Mm -hmm. And of course, back home, we were all very pro-American around yeah. it. And I remember the kids being very supportive, saying, if we go, you're one of us, we'll look after <laughs> you. So I never really felt that in college, any okay. sort of uh, racial discrimination uh, as such. That's wonderful. It yeah. sounds like you went to a very nice university yes. or college. Um, did you at any point in the United States feel, uh, you know, discriminated against or excluded or just somehow, um, you know, like you were wronged almost? You know, I, I think, I, I can't say that there's a specific incident I can call to mind right at this moment. Mm -hmm. But I would say, yes, there, there are times I have felt um, treated differently mm -hmm. because I'm Asian American. Um, and it's not necessarily always been negative. For example, um, the, the stereotypes mm -hmm. that we are, you know, somehow really good in, you know, we're mm -hmm. excellent in math. And, and, and fortunately, I was that stereotype. <laughs> um, you know, if you think about that, I, I majored, my undergraduate degree was in physics, mm -hmm. and then I went to graduate school in engineering. So the stereotypes that they hold about Asians being smart, I, I fortunately was. <laughs> um, and so from a positive perspective, everybody then expects you to be smart mm -hmm. uh, and expect you to, and yes, calculus was my favorite subject. <laughs> um, in college, I remember the guys would just, you know, they'd be studying at night. I'd pop in the study room because they'd call and they'd say, hey, we don't understand this thing. Can you help us? Mm -hmm. um, but it was all, you know, generally positive. Um, sometimes, though, particularly around the, the stereotypes where you're submissive. So then I think is oh. the, the, what I consider more the negative stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Submissive, you don't make ways, Asian don't make good leaders. Mm -hmm. Then I think that's where it hurts because think about in the workplace opportunities for promotion. If you're only ever seen as really smart worker bees, they never look at you from the context of this person could be a supervisor, a manager, one of our leaders. Mm -hmm. So in, in those cases where I think then is as hers because you're seen as, oh, they're quiet, they don't speak up. So have you ever experienced that personally, or have you just seen it? I've seen it, and I would say that while I'm not able to pinpoint and say that is what happened, I, I mean, I have had supervisors say, you know, in my initial ride when I first started in the workplace, 
after a while, you kind of figure out how things work, and you know, hey, I have to speak up. I have to, to do this. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you do have to start picking up some of the habits of mm -hmm. within your workplace, because if you know, that's what makes you get ahead. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I did have a you know, few supervisors that would say, Shanna, because you're, you're quiet and you're a great worker, we just wonder, would you be able to, to be a, a great leader? You know, the whole thing I talk about presence. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I've had to change. I've had to pick up those skills to be successful. And, you know, to tell a little bit of a personal story of me, when I first came to America at age three with my parents, they were, I guess you could say, trying to train me to be submissive, too. They're like, oh, you know, ladies should be proper. Children are only seen and not heard. And it was, it was like America was teaching them to let me be more open and be, I guess you could say, aggressive. I mean, they thought I was too aggressive at first. But it's, it's interesting because I do remember, it's true that, you know, being of a Chinese-American um, background, that yes, a lot of parents want their girls especially to not really speak up or say anything. And it's, it's almost is a cultural thing, so it's like they're feeding into that stereotype. But lucky for me, they eventually eased up, and I'm, I'm a lot more American now. So, <laughs> But... Um, so uh, at what point did you become part of the OCA? Like, was there um, a, a, a moment that struck you that was enlightening that says, oh, um, I feel like I can contribute to this organization, or was it more of a natural um, joining of the organization? You know, I think it was a combination um, of a couple of things. So even before OCA, I had been involved with Asian American organizations. Mm -hmm. And it started really from a, a, a different point of view. So I, I mentioned I was working at NASA, I was an engineer, and that really was my focus. And there was a conference, and this was in Florida, there was a conference in Washington, D.C. for federal Asian American employees. And uh, our uh, civil rights director called me and he said, there's this conference, and would you like to go? And, and we would bring all the NASA folks together from the different NASA installations to really talk about uh, Asian American you know, whether it's, it's recruitment, hiring, employment, retention. He says, we want you to go and represent the agency. Never been involved. So I said, sure, as long as, you, you know. And, you know, that very first conference when I went to D.C., coming from Florida, coming from a very Chinese-centric, Asian-centric culture, even the family was raised, you're very focused on on education, you're mm -hmm. very focused on your technical skills. I go to this conference and I meet Asians that are in HR and contracting and all, you know, non-science fields, and it was an eye-opener. Mm -hmm. um, so I came back and I was very energized. I said, well, let's, you know what, let's have an Asian American employee group at work. And then each time, you know, then that story, I came up to DC on, a, on an assignment I volunteered with the organization. I really started learning about Asian American issues. Mm -hmm. And it, it, again, just such an eye-opening experience in terms of seeing what Asian Americans were going through. I was live, basically living in a bubble in, in Orlando. We did cultural events. We would go mm -hmm. to the festivals. And so that's when you thought of Asian Americans and, and Chinese, it was about the Chinese dance and the Chinese food, not really seeing that there were issues. There were issues in the workplace. There were mm -hmm. issues around discrimination. And so it was then just successive involvement in Asian American organizations. 
when I moved to D.C., a friend of mine invited me to the OCA convention that year, 1998. Mm -hmm. And that really, I think, was the trigger. The vice president of the United States at the time, Al mm -hmm. Gore, came and spoke. And mm -hmm. I thought, if this organization could bring somebody at that level, the vice president, to address its members, mm -hmm. that is an organization I want to be part of. Mm -hmm. um, so I continued to volunteer. And then when I moved, you know, I joined the local chapter, the, the D.C. chapter. Um, I actually started with the, the Northern Virginia chapter. Uh, they tended to be a younger set of employees uh, or younger set of folks, really did a lot more social kind of um, activities for the community. The D.C. chapter was really more around the civic engagement. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was great to have a foot in both. Mm -hmm. And, and it, again, it just was a natural progression after that. But when I looked at... OCA being in the community, that's what I wanted to be part of. And um, that's, that leads me to my next question. Originally, OCA stood for the Organization of Chinese Americans, and uh, recently it was changed into the Organization for Community Advocacy. So why is there this change? I mean, I think it's wonderful, but was it that um, you wanted to include other minorities, or what instigated this change in the name? Sure. So you're absolutely right. In 1973, we were formed as the Organization of Chinese Americans. But as we looked at, you know, as we broadened, the Asian Pacific American community is grown by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. We have, within many of the chapters, we also have uh, not only non-Chinese but non-Asian members of the board. Within the D.C. chapter itself, when I was president, our treasurer was a Jewish male. Uh, so as, as we broaden, you know, we can't be so, so Chinese-centric as such, because if you also look at the issues that impact the Chinese community, they impact not only the Asian-American community, but even the broader minority community in terms of the issues. So that's why it was, you know, we, we looked at it, and we thought we really needed to be inclusive and make it much more Pan-Asian. So I think you guys are doing a wonderful job. I think it was in uh, 2012 when um, all of the OCA chapters across the U.S. came to together, and it was Remember Vincent Chin. And actually, it was right here in uh, Media Design Imaging where we had, um, uh, it was a Google Hangout where we actually watched a video, and we had discussions on the topic as well. Now, uh, whose idea was it? Was it your idea to do this? No, I was not. Uh, in 2012, I was not the president. I just became president last year as my first ter term. But, you know, a lot of the work we do is not necessarily just the president. I look at myself as I'm really there to help guide and lead the organization. Mm -hmm. The work doesn't get done without the chapters mm -hmm. and without the staff at the National Center. So a lot of things get done, and I will tell you, I never take the credit. The staff <laughs> a lot of times make the recommendations. A lot of times we even hear from the chapters about recommendations for whether it's programs, activities, and, um, and, and we do it. If it sounds right, you know, we will discuss it, our executive board, and a lot of times, particularly for these issues as they impact the community, mm -hmm. we're ready to move on it. So whoever idea this was within OCA, it was great. And it absolutely is a great idea because I, I bought the T-shirt says "Remember Vichy." Yes, and I mean, when I where I went to high school, there, we actually learned a little bit about the incident in Detroit. Um, not a whole lot because I had to literally go back to my high school notes and dig for it. But a lot of people, like my husband, a lot of my friends, they never learned about the incident at all in their um, you know high school or maybe in college. But they never learned about it at all. I mean, they 
there is Black History Month, of course, and everything else, but it just seems almost as if the Asian Americans were just kind of glossed over very briefly. Yeah, I, you know, I think that was one of the uh, events that galvanized the Asian American community. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for so long, yeah, while we knew, and I think when I say we, I mean as a collective community, we tend to go along our daily lives. And it took something like Vincent Chin. I mean, mm -hmm. there's many that will say that that was really the watershed moment in the Asian American community that really got us galvanized around the issue of, of discrimination, mm -hmm. um, particularly as it impacts civil rights, mm -hmm. um, as it impacted our community. So it, that, I think to this day, uh, a lot of people still don't know about it. But I also think that's a, that's a different issue about what we teach in the schools. Right. You know, whether it's about Asian American history. You're right. I would say most people don't know about Vincent Chin. But when you also look at other communities, mm -hmm. uh, one of the, the, the programs I had put together at my workplace was called um, Power and Privilege, the Impact of Race. Mm -hmm. And the individual we brought in that uh, ran this workshop for two days, he showed us videos that at the end of it, a lot of the participants, and you know, which were our employees, supervisors, would look at this and really think, why aren't they teaching this in our schools? Whether it was about Asian American history, African American history. Yes, mm -hmm. we African American, we know about the march on Washington. We know about MLK Jr. Mm -hmm. But there's some key parts of even their history that's not shown. The, the American Indians, there's, there's very key parts, I think, mm -hmm. that, you know, and, and that's a different piece. We have a, a vice, one of the members on our uh, executive council is the vice president for education and culture. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that he focuses on is, is in terms of letting people know. It's the education and the awareness and what are, what, what are the school curriculums mm -hmm. to making sure that we get these included. We did a library project some years ago with regards to getting books on Asian Americans in libraries all over the country. Mm -hmm. So that's a project that we have done in the past too, and particularly within the local chapter in D.C., that was a project that we had done from the time I was the president way back when. Mm -hmm. um, but I picked that up from whoever was the president before mm -hmm. me. You know, just getting books in, in even the libraries so that students could learn about Asian American history. And that's, um, that's I, I think the high school I went to was wonderful because we actually read quite a few books. Um, Pearl S. Buck was not actually a, a Chinese author per se, but she was with a missionary family and she grew mm -hmm. up in China. Mm -hmm. So she wrote a lot of stories and they're, they're very raw and authentic in my opinion. So we did read quite a few of her stories, one novel and quite a few short stories. So I think my high school was pretty decent. Yes. <laughs> And some do better than others. I, mm -hmm. I think in communities when there's large populations of Asian Americans, mm -hmm. um, and I think that will work. For example, in the D.C. area, when you look at Montgomery County, one of the suburbs out, you know, in, in Maryland right outside of D.C., or you look at the Northern Virginia area, uh, the population of, of, of Asian Americans within those two areas are around 13, 15 percent. Mm -hmm. So when you're large pockets of Asian Americans, I think, and, and think about it too, it's also visual. If mm -hmm. you see people, if you get to interact with other people of other cultures, and say, you know, we're, we're talking here about Asian Pacific Americans, 
I think then it becomes more accepting mm -hmm. because you get to know people. And that's really what it is. It is about relationships, if yeah. you think about it. You can read about things people do, but as you get to know them as an individual is where change really occurs in terms of acceptance. Absolutely. And uh, just a brief point about my high school. In the class, about 300-some graduates, it was only me and another Asian girl, and she was adopted. So <laughs> she had American <laughs> parents. So I, um, I think my school did pretty well at representing the minority, and I was pretty much it so <laughs> for the Asian-American. Um, and, and there were a couple of Indian-American students, so Asian-Indian-American students. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a uh, break and play some nice musical tunes for you, and we will be back. ladies and gentlemen with the OCA National President Sharon Wong. We are here with OCA Image TV and Asia Town Voice. And Asia Town Voice is a volunteer-based radio station on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. at 88.7 FM on WJCU. 
Now, Sharon, as we were talking about things earlier, um, Johnny Wu and I had a question for you about how to refer to certain minorities. Now, uh, the African-American minorities, sometimes if they're not uh, actually born in Africa or have ancestors immediately from Africa, I've heard that sometimes they refer or prefer to be referred to as being black. Now, what is the appropriate way to refer to this minority? Well, you know, that's interesting. I, 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 I have found that sometimes to be challenging myself mm -hmm. because I have had colleagues that are very proud that their ancestors are from Africa and will say, I am African-American. Mm -hmm. Yet I've had others who have said, I am not from Africa. It's been so long or so many generations that my family was, were brought here that I don't really have a tie to Africa as such, other than my skin color or the way I was raised. And so I prefer to be black. And so I think we, even within the African-American community or the black community, as, you, as anyone would refer to it, I think there's even discussions among themselves in terms of what's the appropriate terminology. Uh, I think most, for the most part, people will say the African-American community. And that's generally how I refer to it, unless someone has stated very clearly mm -hmm. that they prefer to be called black. So to me, it's really about what the community themselves have defined it, mm -hmm. um, just using a very general, broad term as African-American, but leaving it to individuals <laughs> that wish to be referred to different. I, I usually, uh, to be honest, I usually say African-American, um, and I refer to myself as Asian-American slash Pacific Islander because, you know, anybody who's ever taken the SATs, those are usually the bubbles available. So. Yes. <laughs> but I guess that leads me into the next question. Uh, for Asian-Americans, is it more proper to say Asian-American um, or Pacific Islander in a broader sense, or should each individual minority group be referred to as either, you know, Chinese-American, Korean-American, Japanese-American, or Laotian-American, or anything like that? Well, again, very similar to the African-American community. I would say that's probably an individual choice. Mm -hmm. However, when you think of what, even when we did our rebranding, and we went to OCA, Asian Pacific American Advocates, mm -hmm. it really was about our identity as Asian-Americans and Asian Pacific Americans. I mean, even within that, you have the discussion around the name. Is it APA, Asian Pacific Americans, or is it AAPI, Asian American and Pacific Islanders? Mm -hmm. If you look even within <laughs> our community, we have that discussion. And you will find folks that say on the East Coast, it's APA. On the West Coast, it's AAPI, and that's why. Um, the good thing is, is I'm glad that we don't, that's not something we argue over constantly mm -hmm. because that would detract from what the, the real issues of our community mm -hmm. is. But I would say, again, from an OCA perspective, because we have rebranded to be a much more pan-Asian organization, you know, it is about being Asian Pacific American. Uh, but that isn't to say that I'm not proud to be Chinese American. I'm very proud to be Chinese American. Mm -hmm. Last night's event, you know, at mm -hmm. uh, Cleveland State by the Confucius Institute, I will say I sat there with such pride mm -hmm. uh, at a very Chinese-centric event. That doesn't take away from me being a part of the Asian Pacific American community. That's absolutely wonderful. And personally for me, you know, my name is Yin, but sometimes people hear Lin, they hear Jen, they hear Ying. So if they can get my name right, that's great. And I always joke, if they can get my ethnicity right, that's even better. So... <laughs> um, so uh, what was the hardest issue you had to deal with as the OCA president? I know it's only been one year. But yeah. <laughs> well, 
if you think of an organization, and again, as we rebranded to be very pan-Asian, mm-hmm. I would say one of my hardest issues has been trying to, to bring us to uh, a common vision. Mm-hmm. If you think about so many issues that are out there, everything from, you know, if at, at yesterday's inauguration reception, I mentioned some of the things that, the issues that we were working on, mm-hmm. whether it's around immigration, whether it was around military hazing, bullying in schools, particularly for the Asian American community, hate crimes. And then even within our chapters, that's the beauty of having chapters too, because chapters are very specific to the issues in their community. Earlier I referenced that the D.C. chapter was more around civic engagement kind mm-hmm. of things. If you look at with the, the military hazing and the private Danny Chen uh, mm-hmm. death, New York took that up. Very, very strong advocates. I mean, really, kept, if, if anything, they were working harder than, than uh, not necessarily working harder, but much more involved in the details of it because the family was from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sacramento. Uh, you know, the issues that they work out there. So it was very, very specific to their community, what are the issues are. Places where there's very immigrant communities, that's what they want to work on. So how do you, I think that's been one of the, my, my challenges, how do you, as a national organization, make sure that you're not spread too thin? Mm-hmm. Because New York wants us to focus on military hazing. I, I, and I totally agree, because the issues and what happened with, with Danny is something we very needed to be working with, with the Army, making sure that doesn't happen. But then we look at a case like um, in Utah, where um, a, a young student, 14-year-old, had been bullied, mm-hmm. harassed, uh, shot himself in front of mm-hmm. his, uh, came to school one day and killed himself in front of his, his fellow students. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the issue of uh, affirmative action out in California. So there, that, that's probably been my hardest challenge is, is in terms of making sure we don't spread ourselves too thin, but knowing that all these issues are priority issues and how do we manage it. And it's also managing the expectations yes. of all of our <laughs> chapters and all of our members because mm-hmm. everybody wants us to focus on what they consider the, 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 the biggest issue for them. And that kind of leads into my next question, which I think you've almost half answered, is uh, as the future OCA uh, national president, what do you hope to accomplish during your term? Cohesiveness is probably <laughs> one of the things. You know, when I ran for president, there were, were three goals that I, that I stated. Uh, in addition to the, all the issues we were working on, one, mm-hmm. the first one I said was fundraising. To get our programs done, it needs money. I also want to make sure that we have the funding to, our our funding stream is diversified because we have, you know, corporations that are are the ones that have funded our programs, probably like every other chapter, Mm -hmm. okay? But I want to make sure that we also apply for grants, you know, just like one of the things you all talked about was the grant you all received to get your programs done. So I want to make sure we have the funding to do the things we want to do. The second thing for me is membership and membership outreach. Because no matter what we do, we do it for our members. So I want to make sure that we also stay on top. We have the pulse of what our membership wants from us. Because if, if, if our members want us to go one way and we're going another way, there's a disconnect there. So I'm very, I want to make sure that we broaden our membership base. 
Because I'll tell you what, if you think about even where our funding comes from, how you make any impact on, on the HALOR with the administration, is by having the numbers, when you, you know, having this membership base to say, we have X number of members, this is who is behind us. That's what, that's what makes people listen to you. Okay, if we go and we say we have 500 members, nobody will pay any attention, okay? So membership was my second um, priority. The third one was ties a little bit to what I said about making sure that we are doing what, what we want but not spreading ourselves too thin. Mm -hmm. So it was also looking at our staff resources and being better able to focus on the things we need to focus on. So that's, what, that's, that's I would say, is my three areas in terms of what, where I want us to go to. My vision is to be an OCA for our members and to be a very strong advocate mm -hmm. for our members and for our community, not just necessarily for our members, because our programs touch so many people that aren't necessarily members as such, but it's for the community. If you think, but that's why we do this work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wonderful. Now, um, it sounds like that you, uh, you have a lot planned, but in terms of OCA and what it has done in the past, how do you think it has um, impacted and affected all the minority groups in the U.S. Uh, for the positive? Sure. If you think about, you know, whether it's OCA or any other group, a lot of the issues are very similar. Mm -hmm. So you think about bullying at schools. That is happening across multiple organizations, multiple communities. But if any one of us individually work on it, it's really, the, you know, you think about raising your voice. Mm -hmm. It is really about all of us coming together to be the voice uh, whether it's military hazing, by us having such a strong focus on that issue, it makes the army stop and take notice. It's not just Danny Chen. You know, we didn't go in and say, okay, this is about Danny, this is about his family. This was about hazing in its broadest sense also. So any issue we work on, where, you know, even hate crimes, a situation that occurs, the Jimmy Kimmel Live segment, the, the Kids Forum, where here's, here were children when the question was asked, how do we get out uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, economic situation? And one of the children said, kill all Chinese. Working with the ABC Network executives, you know, mm -hmm. in partnership with all the other groups as well, it's really about programming. Mm -hmm. If you think about all those individual situations, it's not just what OCA has done but it's what, as a community, we can come together. You know, OC has also been founding member of, for example, the API Scholarship Fund. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when we have worked with Gates Millennium Scholarship Program to get the funding, it really was OCA along with other organizations. So while we work on it by ourselves, the partnerships that we create to get things done, that's the impact that we have. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, to go even further back in history, what was the initial concept uh, between creating OCA as a organiz uh, nonprofit organization? What group of people came together, and was it, again, an isolated incident, or was there just a need for it in the community? It was more around a need for it. They were, you know, discussion started around 1971, even though the, the organization was officially chartered um, in, in June of 1973. But uh, we credit our founders, who are K.L. Wong and mm -hmm. Alex Mark. And it was uh, these two older gentlemen, our founders, 
that really pulled together folks. They started thinking, is, was there an organization that could bring together the Chinese-American community? And they, they actually started, they started bringing some folks together to have these discussions mm -hmm. just among themselves in, in D.C. And, and, you know, heard of their folks in, the three founding chapters are Washington, D.C., St. Louis, of all places, mm -hmm. and Detroit. Because they had organizations in those uh, two other areas as well. And so, you know, when, when you're a small community, if you're thinking, for, you know, think about 40 years ago, um, people's talk among themselves. And in 1973, they convened a conference here in D.C., which was the very first conference, and I don't think at the time they thought that 40 years later we would be <laughs> here. You know, invitations were sent out to leadership of Chinese-American organizations around the country to come for this, you know, convening as such. Um, over 100-plus folks attended. And hence, that was, that's the date that we say is the beginning of, of OCA, Organization of Chinese Americans, back mm -hmm. at that point. So with our three founding chapters. And it was funny because Detroit actually was called something else. Um, I can't, can't quite remember. And then they actually became a chapter of OCA, of the larger OCA. They still maintain their name, but they, they're a, a chapter of OCA. Very active chapter oh, as wonderful. well. And the St. Louis chapter, very, very active. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew there was a large uh, population, uh, Asian-American population in Detroit, but I didn't know that it was for that far back. Oh, so. yes, very. I mean, if you think about Cleveland, 30 years. So those were 40 years, but just <laughs> over time, chapters have formed as they have seen the need. I mean, we have chapters in some places you would never, never think of. Even within Virginia, we have a Central Virginia mm -hmm. and an Eastern Virginia chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, we, have, uh, we actually have a, 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 a chapter in Hawaii, and we had a convention there some years ago. Oh. Um, uh, not likely to happen anytime <laughs> soon with the economy, but uh, we had uh, one in um, Kentucky, Kentuckiana. Mm. I don't think anybody has ever heard of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> Kentuckiana. But, you know, of, of the chapters, when you think of even within universities and colleges, we have college affiliates. That's why we say over 100 chapters, uh, college affiliates, and partners um, around the country. Again, being a very membership-based organization, we can't get anything done without our members. Yeah. So how has your own experiences growing up as an Asian American in both Jamaica and the United States help you um, as a member uh, with OCA and as the current president? Well, you know, I think from being, I've come from such a broad cultural perspective and experience. You know, think about growing up Chinese in Jamaica. And earlier to your question about Asian American or Chinese American, Growing up in Jamaica, I only knew Chinese, American, Chinese. Um, and from that experience, being very entrenched and very embedded growing up in the Chinese community, but at the same time within Jamaica, um, it, it, it was such a good match. If you think in Jamaica, we eat rice with everything, every one of our meals, okay? <laughs> um, all the, the little grocery stores, the, the little stores at the shop on the corner, uh, the, the restaurants were, by Chinese, were owned by Chinese. So we're very much embedded into the culture there. So that experience of um, being Chinese uh, as a minority in a, in a country that, that's black, and I come mostly black, I come to U.S. and um, 
uh, um, Chinese in a country that's mostly white. It was very interesting, the, the difference, because regardless, I was still a, a racial minority. <laughs> um, but the experiences of, a, a lot of times I think in, in America, especially when we talk about with, even with African Americans, maybe it's not always been necessarily, there's some tensions. I will tell you, I didn't have those tensions growing up. Mm-hmm. I moved to the U.S. and I see there's such racial tensions when growing up it was really more around class. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of race was when we came to the U.S. and I learned oh. that there's you know, a difference where, again, Jamaica was around class, mm-hmm. very different. Um, the whole thing, I think, too, that I've learned is really about inclusion. Mm-hmm. Because now, too, instead of just being Chinese or Chinese-American, I've taken on this, you know, I've adopted the identity of being Asian-American. And for the longest time, I would say Chinese from Jamaica. Well, I've now also come <laughs> to realize that Jamaican part of me it is it, really brought a whole lot of experiences or a whole lot of different ways of thinking that, it's now not just about my Asian American side. It's the Jamaican side as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say Jamaican by birth, uh, Chinese by ethnicity, but American by choice. Because if you think that, that's what defines me as a person. And I would say every one of those things uh, is what I bring to my everyday life, in particular for OCA. Because being an Asian American in two cultures, Make, makes me see, and it's not just about injustices, because I think we have changed over time, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's still there. I think discrimination is, is still around. It's much more subtle. But these different perspectives have allowed me to see things from different perspectives. And a lot of, and, and it's not so much about here's all the wrongs and here's all the things, because there's a lot of good things that have been done. There's a lot of positives. I felt like we have made a lot of progress in civil rights, uh, in social justice. Mm-hmm. We still have a long way to go, but I really think we are getting there. And I think just my experiences in terms of you know, my involvement in, in different cultures, even in terms of how I was raised, in terms of the family, my colleagues, the friends I have, really helped me bring it all to OCA because some of these issues were things I never knew growing up. Mm-hmm. And seeing them, seeing, you know, and, and really about being inclusive of all is really what I've learned. And this next question might be a little bit uh, deeper, but do you think in our lifetime we'll see the day where children, they won't have labels like you are Asian American, you are, you know, Chinese American or African American, do you think we'll see the day where they would just look at another human being, regardless of race, and say, you are a human being and there are no labels that need to be put on you? Unfortunately, I don't think in our lifetime, I do think we are moving there. I, I, I see great progress because I think kids, we teach them that. I really, I, I feel we teach them that because kids are born to mm-hmm. come and, and make separations and differentiations. We teach them that even subconsciously. Mm-hmm. You know, we're watching TV with them and the stereotypes that we've put, they learn. These are all learned habits. And unfortunately, because we're human, mm-hmm. we also teach inadvertently. I think it will take a long time. I think what we need to do is to teach the positive aspects because as long as we're human and as long as we're thinking people, 
as long as we're able to look, we will see difference. We will see difference in color. We will see black versus white. But as long as we can teach that one is not better than the other, mm -hmm. one is not worse than the other, it's just different. Um, and that everybody's perspectives matter. I think that's another thing. When we discount someone based on their race or how they look, Mm -hmm. uh, you think of Asian Americans, when we're discounted as, you're just a technical person. Um, you know, you can develop software programs or, or uh, then I think that we're marginalized mm -hmm. and we're put in a box and we're only in one category. You know, if you think we need to make sure that our community is represented at the highest levels of, of corporate or of government, because when people see role models that look like us, then they aspire to be it too. Thank you very much. I think that's a wonderful answer. And I certainly hope that when I have children, that when they grow up, they will see everybody as a human being and not as you know a label, which I understand that labels exist kind of as a bridge between acceptance to, uh, well, from non-acceptance into acceptance. And that's just my opinion. But on to some more fun questions, Sharon. What is your favorite Chinese dish? <laughs> I apologize if I call I, I, I know the answer. I just don't know it in Chinese. Oh. It's that, that, that uh, shrimp. Um, uh, the dish I had last night. Uh, shrimp in, I believe it's that mayonnaise, uh, shrimp with walnut, that's what it's called. Ooh, it's shrimp with walnut is my favorite Chinese dish. It's perfect, it's like sweet and salty. Yes, I love that dish. Now, what about other Asian foods? What is your favorite Asian or Jamaican dish? So, Jamaican dish, my favorite is um, oxtail. Oh, yeah? Oh, that is one. You know, in Jamaica, the national dish is uh, it's something we call ackee and codfish. Uh, that is my favorite dish. Uh, I could eat that every Sunday morning when I get up. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, when I go home, uh, my parents live in Orlando, and they, you know, they're retired chefs. So cooking is their main thing. That, that's why you know, I, I'm, I always need to exercise because <laughs> they feed me so well. I go down, and my dad knows that, that ackee and, and, and codfish um, for that weekend morning, and then he knows for dinner he needs to make a big pot of that oxtail because half of it is mine and the family <laughs> eats the other half. With regards to other Asian food, you know, I, I, I love Asian foods. I mean, pho. Oh, oh my goodness, I me too. Especially yes. during a, a winter, <laughs> yeah. that's great. I love Thai food. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Japanese, I love sushi, sashimi in particular. Uh, I would say I eat Asian food probably more than any other food, yeah. followed by Jamaican, of course. I know it's hard to pick a favorite Asian dish, right? Yes. <laughs> but I, I agree, pho is perfect for the winter time. Now, um, having two parents who are chefs, do you know how to cook? Yes. Oh, they good. Made it, we actually had a little <laughs> restaurant growing up, oh. so uh, we all learned uh, to make to, to cook. So, well, will you be cooking for us anytime soon? <laughs> I, I was tempted. I had to ask. <laughs> I could. Next time when I come, somebody says, suffer kitchen, you know. I'm not as good as my parents, obviously, or even <laughs> some of my siblings who are better cooks, but we, we do not um, lack for food. In, in my house, we actually, when we were building it, then there was an area for the pantry, mm -hmm. and then there was a desk area, and the desk area was actually bigger than the pantry. <laughs> we had them switch it. 
Oh, really? And uh, my friends come over and call our pantry the Chinese grocery store. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite thing to make? Favorite thing to make? You know, I, I think just from a diverse distance, I make so much. I'm not sure that there is a favorite. Maybe it's like a fusion that you make? Some sort oh, of yeah, thing? we make a lot. I would see a lot of the food we make to our, our fusion of Jamaican and mm -hmm. Chinese, even some of the stews. Mm -hmm. So we use all uh, Asian seasonings. Like I said, <laughs> that's why we have the Chinese grocery store in my pantry. Um, all of our seasonings are all Asian, and so that's what we use basically with anything we cook. I tend to cook a lot of, of meat type of dishes. Um, I share a house with my brother and sister, mm -hmm. and my brother tends to be more in the fish and seafood. He can make a mean salmon. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to make more of the meat type of dishes, but everything, it's all the seasonings are Asian, <laughs> right? and particularly Chinese seasonings in, in our house. Well, we definitely know that next time Sharon Wong is coming to visit us here in Cleveland, it will be a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, DJ Alexicon will announce upcoming events around Northeast Ohio. So if you're looking for something to beat the winter blues, tune in. And thank you, Ian, for turning it over. Here are your events for the upcoming weeks. But before I continue with that one, let me mention that the winter, the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics are still going on and we still have a week of competition. And um, uh, with that in mind, let me mention the, the USA medal count, our country's medal count. So far, we have 16 total, 16 total medals, 4 golds, 4 silver, and 8 bronze. And... As of this uh, broadcast, um, we are second in the total medal runnings. Russia is first, the U.S. second, and third is perennial winter Olympic power, Norway. So, I know that everybody's busy with all other events, but uh, if you forgot about the Winter Olympics, there's still time to catch it because there's still a week of competitions left. So... With that in mind, our first event that comes to mind is on February 26, um, Asia Inc. organization will have its first annual Project Race Summit. Um, this will be at the Ariel International Center in downtown Cleveland. And if, you've, if you guys remember, we've been mentioning Project Race for, for the past several months now. And it's a project or an initiative to improve health among um, Asians and as again this is spearheaded by Asia Inc. It, this is a free event. It's the first annual project race summit. This is a free event but you have to register and for more details go to asiaohio.org that's A-S-I-A-O-H-I-O.org and it's free. Um, the next event that comes to mind is um, the Cleveland International Film Festival. I think everybody knows about this. Um, it's an international film festival that occurs every year around the March-April time frame. Cleveland is starting to get popular or it's getting awareness from all over the country. In this festival, we get to see a lot of films uh, from all over the world. And this year, there will be around 10 to 12 Asian film entries. Um, I forgot what they are, but please do go to their website to check it out. Clevelandfilm.org. That's Cleveland Film one word dot org so clevelandfilm.org it's the uh, cleveland international film festival that happens on march 19 to march 30 it will be at tower city downtown tickets will be available at tower city or you can get involved with um, other organizations that sponsor a film 
See, organizations that sponsor a film receive a $2 discount and they receive a special code that you could use so that you could get uh, discounted tickets. Um, two of the organizations that will be sponsoring a film this year is Motivations for Cleveland and OCA. So keep listening to us and we'll give out the details to you. Finally, uh, on April 5th, there will be a final um, fundraisers for the Philippine victims of Typhoon Haiyan. I know that um, you guys will be asking... Why do we need another fundraiser when it's been a while since the typhoon hit? Well, uh, to our dear valued listeners, uh, the needs in the Philippines are long term. And it's only uh, a single donation or a single help will not be solving the problems of uh, the country because there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. But anyway, this April 5 fundraiser will happen at St. Albert's Church in North Royalton, and it is primarily sponsored by the Philippine American Society of Ohio and other organization under its wing. So tickets are very reasonable. They start at $15 up to $50, and um, it will be a, a singing concert, uh, a night of fun-filled and fun-filled music. So that should be it. I hope you guys will listen to Asia Town Voice and continue to watch out for upcoming events. And uh, once again, Sharon Wong is the National OCA President. We want to thank her for coming in today and doing this interview with us. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Take care, and we'll see you next time.